the Lord's Prayer. Regardless of, of culture or geography or language or tradition, this is one of those things that just about every church in the world shares. I can't think of any that doesn't hold this prayer closely. And of just about every school child that passes through any school in the Western world and many parts of Latin America and the global South, they will know the words to the Lord's Prayer. Some of the most important words in the New Testament. Just a bit from the Gospel of Luke and just a bit from the Gospel of Matthew. And I think, actually though, I'd start us by talking about the Lord's Prayer by looking at that bit that comes just before the prayer in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus' disciple turns to him and he says, Lord, teach us how to pray. What a powerful idea. If you find yourself in a position of, uh, of weakness or worry or anxiety or joy or triumph or whatever it may be, Lord, teach me Give me the words to pray. And Luke says that the power of the Spirit is there when you're about to open your mouth, even before the words come out, particularly in the time of trial. The Gospel of John reports that Jesus prays for us to his Father. And I think my favorite prayer is the one that Paul talks about in Romans 8. When through the power of the Holy Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father. And so the Lord's Prayer begins. Our Father. So many things happen when we start to pray. The ground shifts. The cosmos shifts. The Holy Spirit is rooting for you. He's putting words in your mouth. Jesus is praying for you as you prepare to pray. And so, in some ways, the work has already begun even before these words come out of our mouth. Our Father. In John 17, Jesus prays for us to his Father in heaven. And of all the things in the universe he could pray for, of all the things he could pray for, he prays that you and I would live in unity. That is what he prays for. That you and I would be united. That believers in Jesus Christ would be united in the way that Jesus is one with his Father. So that's not just a kind of begrudgingly getting along. It's not a kind of, well, I'll leave you on your side of the fence and I'll stay on mine. It is a deep commitment to live in each other's pockets in love and in patience and in understanding. Not, of course, glossing over the differences, but living in the unity of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus says when that happens, <laughs> then when the rest of the world sees that unity, they will believe that I am the Messiah, Jesus says. They will believe that I'm the Savior, Jesus says. Because of you and me loving each other, our Father in heaven. When Jesus teaches his prayer, he prefaces by saying, go into your room, close the door. You know, in a modern day context, I can just envision kind of drawing the curtains, even turning the lights out. So as not to be seen 
You have a direct line to your Father in heaven. Know that when you pray, you are heard and your prayers are listened to with great love and attentiveness by your Father in heaven. And know that he's preparing a place for you. He's setting a, ta a place at the table for you in heaven. So it may not be a geographical place, heaven. It, it may not be a place in time because we know that time is of the created order and the created order will pass away when Jesus returns again. But what we do know is it's like he's in that space where all things are being new and all things are entering into a new creation. And we are bound for that place. And when we pray to heaven, it's a statement of hope and assurance and comfort. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, what a funny word. Well, this is, this is the God who spoke out um, of a burning bush, right? To Moses. It spontaneously combusts. Uh, a voice comes out, tells Moses, you're standing on holy ground. Remove the sandals on your feet. This is the, this is the God who parted the Red Sea, who raised Lazarus from the dead, who, who provided fresh water for the Israelites out of, out of rocks in the wilderness, and appointed flawed human beings to shepherd his people. People like Moses, who historians tell us very likely had a severe speech impediment. People like David, who took advantage of innocent women and committed adultery. People like Paul, who spent half his life uh, as part of a death squad hunting down Christians. This is the name of the God, the hallowed name, who transforms people, who brings them out of captivity, who feeds the poor, who comforts the brokenhearted, whose name Yahweh could not be spelled in full or spoken aloud in the Old Testament because it was too holy, it was almost too hallowed. Who came to earth to live with us and teach us and die on a cross for us and be raised again for us so that we might live, really live, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my kingdom, not the Church of England's kingdom. Your kingdom, God, let it reign. And every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. As Jesus goes down into hell, takes the keys back and preaches the good news to those souls in hell. No kingdom, not death, not destruction, not war, famine, or disease will be left standing in the end when God's kingdom reigns fully in this earthly creation. Not even the kingdoms of charity or goodwill or tolerance or good Western values, they're not bold enough, they're not bright enough to stand in the shadow of the kingdom of God. That's how glorious it's going to be. That's how glorious it is. And not even the kingdom of the United States of America or the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland will be needed when we're in this kingdom of God on the day we exchange our citizenship for the kingdom of heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. 
your will be done, Lord. Not my agenda or my program. You know, just about every oath of office ends with, so help me God. Isn't that convenient? So when I took my oath of office to become an officer in the U.S. Navy, it went something along the lines of, I swear to serve and protect the Constitution of the United States of America and defend her from all enemies, foreign and domestic. So help me God. And the reality of your will be done, Lord, is like taking the contents of that oath and removing them all except for that last bit. So help me God. And in that place, in those brackets, goes our life, our whole life, our whole being, our whole existence for the glory of God. Our lives should be the blank canvas on which God writes out his purpose. Our thoughts, our ideas need to be held captive to the will of God. Our love and our fear needs to be for God. And Jesus says in the book of Revelation, I am the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. In the Greek alphabet, the beginning was Alpha, the end was Omega. And Jesus saying, I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I'm everything in between, Jesus says, of that alphabet. I am everything. Our beginning, our end, and everything not only belongs to God, it's also defined by Jesus Christ. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. There's a belief in Eastern Christianity in the Orthodox Church that when you gather as a church on Sunday, that the boundaries between heaven and earth begin to dissolve that actually you start to enter heavenly time and the worship that you're offering in church on a Sunday begins to join the worship that is offered by angels in heaven simultaneously, all to the glory of God. And this belief is so strong in the Orthodox Church that priests don't wear watches. Uh, they believe that time is 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 kind of wiped away or, or transcended by worship itself. When we take part in this worship, it's in the very same court of the King of the nations, of Father, Adonai, Elohim, Yahweh. It is the very reason you won't find a clock in Orthodox churches. And as I said, priests don't wear watches. Because what they believe is when church starts, um, you're on the Holy Spirit's clock. You're on His time. And so if worship lasts for an hour, and the Holy Spirit directs that it's going to be an hour, so it will take an hour. But if the Holy Spirit wants to worship for three hours and 46 minutes, then they worship for three hours and 46 minutes and not a second less because the heart is there to join in with the worship that is already going on in heaven and the belief that we can join in, we can be part of that, that that is God's promise for us. Here and now, we don't have to wait to join in with that praise and worship. The book of Revelation is mostly an account of angelic worship in heaven. I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb 
who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the voice of worship gathers from heaven and on earth and even under the earth and on the sea. And so it is with God's will, his judgment, his love, his mercy. They rule equally in heaven and on earth. And Jesus works to bring creation into accord, into unity with the Father's will for everything in heaven and on earth. Give us today our daily bread. When we pray this, we should be thinking of every need known to humankind, material, spiritual, emotional, physical, biological, psychological. Daily bread is what you eat, it's what you survive on, it's real, it's tangible, you know? And our God is the God who provides real things. He isn't some kind of mystic God who we somehow kind of transcend our present earthly realities to commune with. He's real. He, this is what the incarnation is about. To bridge that gap to where you are sitting right now in your front room, in your office, with the computer in front of you, with the phone in front of you. He is, he is with you right now. It's as real as your daily bread. And God provides good things. Matthew tells us, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? These are real gifts, and they're good gifts. Bread, food, housing. Now, He's not here to be your sugar daddy, I don't think. So if you're going to ask him for, you know, a 100,000 foot mansion on, on, in Costa Del Mar in California, who knows? Maybe, but I mean, he might, but he will put a roof over your head. Now, seriously, I have prayed with quite a few homeless folks and I always pray for tangible things. I pray for them to come to faith. I pray for them to know the love of Jesus Christ. But I pray for them to have a home. I pray for them to have food to eat. And, you know, to this day, I can't think of a single situation where that prayer hasn't been answered. In all honesty, this is a God who provides your daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Notice the order. It's important. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. From God's forgiveness, our own forgiveness flows. It's so key. When we are set right before God, we're able to forgive others. Repentance is not the, it's not the axe that we wield against our enemy or our neighbor. Repent! You know, it comes from a place of restoration and redemption within us that God provides, that Jesus indwells in us. When I was a young naval officer in training, we had a very limited amount of, uh, of liberty, is what they call it, freedom, 
going off a of base and uh, and and going out on the town on Saturday night. We would put on our white uniforms and we'd go out to the the local dance club. And I remember we we roll into that place uh, and across the road, kind of consistently on a Saturday night were folks from a local Southern Baptist church and they had placards and they were shouting and they would say things like, repent or go to hell. Now, presumably, uh, I fully accept that Jesus probably wouldn't have been all too keen on some of the things that were said and some of the things that happened in that, in that dance club. But you know what? I recall my own experience with Christians later on, Christians who loved me and shared the good news with me out of that love who were honest about their own shortcomings, their own sin, and their own forgiveness. And that became something that I really wanted for myself. And, and you know, the, the, the message that those, and I'm sure they were lovely people, had on that street corner just went in one ear and out the other. Because it just wasn't the love there. Repentance is a posture. It's actually not just something we do in a confession on a Sunday. It's not, um, it's not just saying sorry for specific things. Repentance is a state of mind. It's a posture and it's permanent. It needs to be with us all the time. It needs to be kind of that sourcing of God's strength through being made washed clean, being made clean, being forgiven. You know, it is what makes us strong. It's not a weakness by any count. You know, it's how we live into our full potential as human beings, that state of repentance where God is able to pick us up off of our knees and put us on our way. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is big. Guys, this is big. Firstly, it's realistic. Look, we live in a world of trial and temptation. These things have not completely corrupted creation, though. Creation is good. Scripture tells us that. But, you know, the enemy has a way of working through deception. He will want to deceive us. He'll work through fear. He'll want to make us afraid. And so we can sometimes turn to the world and say, Oh, gosh, isn't it horrible? Isn't it awful? War, famine, disease. Um, don't be deceived. The good news is everywhere, and there's goodness all around. Don't be deceived by that. God's not going to lie to you. But be comforted as well. If you're feeling convicted of wrongdoing in your own life, um, that's God talking to you. If you experience joy in life, God is talking to you. For you married folks who enjoy sex, God is talking to, to you. And if you don't enjoy it, God might have something to say about that. Because he is a God of, of joy. If you stop to take in a rainbow or enjoy a sunrise or you love listening to the sound of rain on a roof on a hot day and that makes you smile, listen, God is talking to you. This is the goodness of creation that we're set here to enjoy. In Matthew 4, we read that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into a time of trial. Now, it's important to reference this story because of what the outcome is. Jesus prevails because he is the Son of God. And through his victory, we also prevail. We can't overcome these things ourselves. 
But we live into the victory of Jesus Christ. He paves the way. He makes it possible. When we do that leaning on him, he carries us through. And trial and temptation will not trip us up permanently. Praying the Lord's Prayer makes us aware of what the enemy is attempting to do all around us. And it reminds us whose power is required to save us, both in this life and in the next. And do you know what, finally, and, and equally as important, this prayer equips you to do ministry. In the Orthodox Church, every priest is considered anointed and licensed to conduct deliverance training. That's exorcisms. Because of this prayer, deliver us from evil. And so all Christians around the world who join in this prayer, you are commissioned to deliver people from evil. That's the fact. We are engaged in warfare, and I don't want to make a huge deal out of it because I don't like to give the enemy a lot of airtime. Uh, but we are called to continue to pray with and for others to deliver them from demons, evil spirits, possession of any and every kind. And for the folks that I've been working on prayer ministry with, uh, and oh, by the way, uh, Ruth, who's leading prayer ministry, we're going to be working and leading some training sessions on how to do prayer ministry. If you haven't heard this before, as a prayer ministry, our job is to press into what the Holy Spirit is doing and transforming somebody's life. You know, we're not counselors uh, as prayer ministers. We are there to usher in signs and wonders in the power of the Holy Spirit, to do healing, and, and, to, give, and to give Holy Spirit the, the space to do something, invite Him in to change people's lives. There's a real direct outcome of what we do in prayer ministry, and it derives from the power of this prayer. Now we do it with love, and we do it with gentleness and charity. But yes, we are called to pray off Freemasonry. We are called to pray off pagan religions. We are called to pray off occult practices, witchcraft, New Age philosophies. No reason to be afraid of it, but there's no reason to live alongside it if we acknowledge that the power of Jesus Christ is the one truth and overcomes those other things. To not enter into prayer with and for somebody who's engaged in those practices is like saying, I don't love you enough to expose you to the full gospel. I don't love you enough to let you experience or to encourage you and invite you to experience the power of Jesus Christ in my life. It's realizing fully the power of the gospel in the world. And I have seen with my own eyes how faith in Jesus almost directly follows release from these oppressions, these captivities. For where we permit these things to carry on, we are refusing to acknowledge the power of Jesus Christ to save. But when we choose to step into that ministry, we are also stepping into the incredible power of the Holy Spirit to transform the world around us. There's no reason to wait for heaven to see some of the fruits that the Holy Spirit is already producing here in the world around you. Paul's very clear about this. We, we don't experience the full joy of heaven yet. That's not until the new creation, the new Jerusalem, when Jesus returns again. Yet, we can see some of the fruits of the kingdom here and now. Our job when we pray this prayer is to have that expectation, to step into that.
to believe in it and to partner with Jesus Christ. Here's to a bold new future, guys. Bless you and have a great week.